everybody. This is Chris. And Kathy. We wanted to take a minute to thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate every listener and are grateful for this platform. Please help us share our vision by subscribing to our show through your favorite streaming app. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Petability Podcast. Check out our ever-growing list of affiliates and sponsors. Simply go to the show notes for information and links. And be sure to use our promo code PETPOD22, that's P-E-T-P-O-D-2-2, on checkout to receive your discount from our affiliates. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Alon Landa, CEO of MedcoVet, and I'm a proud sponsor of PetAbility. We decided to partner with Chris and Kathy because, like them, we want to empower all pet owners who are trying to do the most for their pets. At MedcoVet, we specialize in advanced home laser therapy for pets. Laser therapy is a safe and effective treatment for common conditions like arthritis and wounds, and it relieves pain for most conditions caused by inflammation. With MedcoVet, pet owners can perform this treatment at home while receiving support from experienced clinicians. If you think your pet would benefit from healing at home, visit MedcoVet.com, and one of our clinical experts will work with you to determine if home laser therapy is the right fit for you and your pet. Tell them PetAbility sent you. Welcome to PetAbility. I'm your host, Kathy Simons. And I'm your host, Chris Cranston. Our podcast provides interviews and information to help your pets live their best lives. Hello, my friend. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm good. You know how typically at the beginning of every show, we say we're so excited about the guests that we have? Yes, I know. (laughs) Yes. Well, today, (laughs) our special guest is none other than my co-host, Kathy Simon. The crowd goes wild. (laughs) Yes, yes. No, um, I thought it was really cool because... Kathy, you reminded me about your expertise in bird rehab. And how could I have forgotten that? And we haven't had that many shows dedicated to birds, although we did interview avian veterinarian Dr. Marjorie McMillan a while back. But it's time uh, that we focus on rehabilitation and uh, bring bring more folks to our flock. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Um, I like how you got that in there. That was brilliant. Mm. Um, I think, you know, we, we post a lot of pictures on Instagram of our patients and us taking care of patients. And one of the things that one of the patients I always post is my friend, um, Ozzy, who is a, an Amazon, a yellow nape Amazon. And people have so many questions about what I'm doing with Ozzy and how Ozzy mm. is doing and how do I perform rehabilitation with Ozzy. So I thought, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it because rehabilitation isn't just for dogs or cats, right? And in our right. profession, in our arena, you and I have seen rabbits, guinea pigs, birds, ducks, chickens, and the pig, and our good friend, our and our good friend uh, Penelope, and the goat, Jerry, and the goat, and Jerry. So, really, anybody can benefit from rehab, right? It's Absolutely. about increasing. Yeah, it's about function. Um, and increasing function, that's not just limited to our dogs and cats. You know, that was one thing that I, I learned because you helped me get my start as a small animal rehabilitationist. And when I came to the practice where you were working, they had a large avian 
population of patients. And so from the periphery, I got to observe a little bit and, but I have never been involved in the rehabilitation of a bird. But I remember a couple of years ago when we were on our RV trip and that poor seagull got caught in the fishing line. The guy just casted out innocently from a pier and just got the fishing line around this bird and uh, reeled it in. And of course, I'm dun, 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 you know, run over to the rescue. And uh, I just remember it was the greatest compliment because when I showed you the video, because I had my partner video the whole scene, um, knowing that we had this podcast and so forth. And you said that my bird handling skills were excellent. They were on point. They did everything <laughs> that you were supposed to do to make that a safe rescue for that bird. It was very nicely done. You did a great job. And it went flying off. It it seemed to be just fine. So yes, I was just, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I was very proud of myself. Very proud of myself. You did a good job. (laughs) So Kathy, can you tell our audience a little bit more about how you got specifically you know, involved and interested in bird rehab, you know, what does your background entail? And, you know, how did you become such an expert? Because it's certainly a unique area. You have your niche. niche. It's a niche. You are Um, the go-to person in in New England. Yes. Well, first of all, let me clarify that when I say I, you know, do bird rehab, I don't do uh, wild bird rehabilitation. And that is uh, largely for legal reasons. If you're going to rehab a wild bird, you should be sent to a wildlife rehabilitator. And I agree with that. Um, Those are the people that know what they're doing. So when I say I'm doing rehab with birds, most of them are pet birds. So they're parrots, parakeets. It it, it could be as small as a finch or as large as a macaw. And I've done them the whole gamut from from the tiniest bird to to the biggest bird. But I also see chickens and ducks and roosters and any type of waterfowl that's your pet. I've done rehab with them as well. And it's really been one of the greatest joys of my life. I've, I love working with birds. It's, um, you know, they're extremely intelligent. And I think that they don't get the credit that they deserve for their intelligence level. And, you know, we're in some of these birds, especially in your African greys and your, your Amazon parrots, their intelligence level is, has been compared to maybe a child of five or six. So if you know a child that's five or six, you know how smart they are. Smart <laughs> Alec. Like. All right. They can get on the internet. Um, extremely intelligent, and you really have to understand them to work with us a completely different language than working with dogs and cats. But that being said, again, they still deserve the same kind of medical treatments and therapies that will relieve them of any type of pain or help them recover from injury. Well, and the fact that they live so long too, not only are they smart, but you know, I know it's it's different from bird, what is it, breed or species? Uh, bird. Yeah, yeah, bird, yeah, bird species. So your parakeets probably you know, if you're, if everything goes well with it and it's a healthy parakeet, you might get eight years, maybe 10, if that's, if, if, it, if you're lucky, but when you get up into things, the bigger birds, like the Amazons and the macaws and the African greys, you could be looking at 70, 80, 90 years of commitment to this, yeah, to this pet well, bird. And people. not only commitment, but thinking from a physical rehabilitation point of view, I mean, that's a long time to right. stay physically healthy. So I would think that just like you know, you're saying every, every species, you know, dogs, cats, and others need physical rehabilitation that these, because they live so long would have a need over time for some sort of physical rehabilitation. Right. You know, there, 
more exposure, more time to be, you know, exposed to injury, um, you know, to have an accident, but also just the things that typically go along with aging, like arthritis. And I'm hoping that you, you touch on that. It's a big, yeah, it's a big problem for these birds that get osteoarthritis, but let me tell you just a little bit about how I got started with birds and what gives me the (laughs) street cred cred to uh, talk about birds. I, I, I started my career at the Angel Animal Medical Center, probably back in um, 1986. And I had the the great pleasure of working with two uh, pioneers in avian medicine. One of them was Dr. Midge Petrak. And Dr. Petrak is the author of Diseases of Cage and Aviary Birds. And that book came out in like 1969 or 1970. Oh my gosh. So she is the person who laid the tracks. Uh, tra- she was a trailblazer in avian medicine. And then um, I also worked with uh, Dr. Marge McMillan, who is a board-certified veterinary radiologist, and she has authored many textbooks to uh, establish a radiology as a primary diagnostic tool in avian medicine. So she teaches, she writes, and she has been a pioneer, again, in in avian medicine. Um, And she also was a person who was involved or instrumental in writing the board exam for veterinarians to become boarded in avian medicine. So I've worked a lot with birds and I felt, I've felt over the years that maybe even sometimes birds might be even a little bit easier sometimes (laughs) for me that dogs or cats. And so I I had that background. And then I went with Dr. McMillan uh, when she opened up the Windhover Veterinary Center, Walpole, Massachusetts, who was primarily at that time an avian practice. And maybe at that time might have been the only one in New England. I'm not certain for that, but it was certainly one of the first. Well, and then it was also one of the first to establish physical rehabilitation. Right, right. So that makes sense that since you had a ready-made population of birds there in that practice, and they also saw many other, you know, dogs, cats, the typical, that uh, when you started doing rehab and got certified, you were one of the first to be certified in the world in uh, canine rehabilitation, that you would extrapolate and apply that knowledge and skill set, that unique skill set to the birds. And they benefit from the same things that our dogs and cats do from massage and range of motions and exercises. And we'll talk all about that, but they benefit from that as well. Well, let's just get into that because I would have no idea how you would go about (laughs) massaging a bird with Mm -hmm. feathers. When I talk about massage, things that I most often massage for birds are feet, legs, or, or the area of the shoulder. It sort of depends on the bird and the size of the bird and what's going on. And you have to be very careful when you're handling birds because their their breathing system is a bellows system. So they need to be able to expand their chest to breathe. So you have to be very cautious about how much pressure you put on the bird, around the body, around the wings, and when you're holding them. So I don't often do a lot of real body body work just because I want to be safe with the bird and not hold them tightly. But most often what I find is, you know, birds that are senior or geriatric or getting up there in age, osteoarthritis is a big problem for them. And typically it's feet, ankles, knees, or hips and shoulders. And so I'll massage them and then I'll move into doing some range of motion. You know, I don't always recommend that people do that at home themselves because it can be, it can be tricky, you know, it'd be tricky to hold these birds and make sure that you're doing them safely. Kathy, can I ask a question here? You said, you know, that, that with arthritis and maybe other injuries that, that they have maybe some stiffness and then you need to do range of motion. So you can, in those little bird feet, you yes. can detect like, is there crepitus? Is there, are there normals 
that once you've handled enough birds, you know how it should feel? I mean, is this where the real expertise comes in? You know, and we've talked about this before with our dog patients that we've seen so many dog patients that when we do our measurements, our range of motion measures, we can almost in our head, almost know exactly what that measurement is going to be because we feel, we feel so many of them and we're like, oh, this is normal, but this isn't normal. It's the same thing with birds. They should be able to extend their ankle. If it's, if it's locked, you can't extend it. Then, then we're talking about some osteoarthritic process. And typically what we'll find is uh, radiographically, we'll see it, that there's changes in those joints. So is the radiographic evidence similar to to mammals in that there's fibrosis, calcification, right. changes Oste- in osteophytes, yep. yeah, <laughs> joint surface, yep. loss of cartilage. Do yep. they have, yeah, with hyaline cartilage on the ends and okay, right. just lots right. of little if ones. You, if you feel enough bird feet, <laughs> I guess I love everybody's feet, don't I? I guess you do. You're not, you're not, uh, yes. If you feel Prejudice. enough bird, yeah, if you feel enough bird legs, ankles, feet, and shoulders and elbows, then you know what a normal, or you you get a sense for what is a normal range of motion. And for birds, if they don't have that normal range of motion in their shoulder or their wing or their elbow or their feet, they can become clumsy. They can fall. When they fall, they can break open their breastbone. They break open their keel bone. It becomes difficult for them to ambulate. And then if you think about the bird in its daily life, they stand all day. And then they lock up their feet and legs at night to stand. You know, they'll sort of hunker down a little bit, but they're still standing. Like birds, they don't lie down. And maybe if you have a snuggly bird, they might sort of like lay down on their, you know, their breastbone against your breastbone, but they don't lay down on their side. They're always in a standing position. So they are on their perch. They're not like in a little bed sling bottom of the cage. Some some birds you'll see get in little hideys, little hidey things. Um, but most are standing and sleeping on their perch. They'll find a spot in their cage that they like as their sleeping spot. And they'll stick with that. Typically they'll stay in that spot for the night. Some little birds do like those little hidey things or little, like little fleece things, but again, they're not laying down. They're still, they're still upright. See, I'm revealing uh, my lack of expertise uh, here with my line of questioning. So uh, it's a good line of questioning. Well, you're welcome. You other novice bird people out there. <laughs> uh, so yeah. When it comes to the arthritis, again, is it similar in that most of the time it will be bilateral unless they've had an injury or do you typically see one side versus the other and do birds compensate just like any other animal? Absolutely. Especially if you have osteoarthritis from an injury. So I think that the leg injury in birds is one of the most difficult things because they do get the same sort of things that other animals get when they switch that weight bearing over to the other leg. Um, and then that leg can become tired, uh, right. overused. And, yeah. And unlike our dogs and cats, where that they have three other legs, the bird only has one other leg. Only one other leg to lean on. So and if it's again, due to aging, if it's due to aging, is it typically similar in both legs then? Because the when I, yeah, same when I changes see, have occurred. Yeah. When I see aging birds, I see it uh, osteoarthritis uh, bilaterally. I had a, a, a patient that I loved dearly. She was a little dove. She lived to be an enormously old dove. I cannot remember how old she was, but she was an old, old dove. And her mom took such good care of her, but she had arthritis in just about every, every joint. Um, Mm. And it was really debilitating for her. So we did, you know, laser, we used the Luma, we used the Medcovet Luma with her. Nice. Uh, And that helped. We have a show on that. We had to modify her, her environment uh, so that she could be comfortable with smaller perches and ledges versus larger Square perches and and made ledges with little soft cushions on them, 
So mm-hmm. they can make sort of some of the same accommodations that we make for dogs and cats. We can do for the birds as well. When I think about rehabilitating birds, I look at their environment and how can I modify their environment to make either their recovery from an injury better or if they have something progressive like an osteoarthritic process, you know, how can I make their environment better? How can I make it more easy for them, more livable for them? So I look at their environment and that's one of three things I wanted to touch on today. So I want to talk about modifying their environment and how we can do that. I'd also like to touch on later in the podcast, we'll talk about exercises and uh, we'll talk about environmental enrichment as well. So some of the things I think about when I'm modifying a bird's environment is where are the perches? You know, is this bird have good balance and can perch up high or do they fall? Are they clumsy? So if they are, what I'll do is lower the perches. So we've got the perches closer to the bottom of the cage. If they fall, they're closer to the bottom and they're less likely to to injure themselves. I also want to move the food and water dishes a little bit closer, maybe a little closer to where they can reach them uh, so they don't have to climb excessively to reach them. I want to make sure that they have access to their, their fresh fruits and vegetables, their pellets, and their water. Now, the other, and the other thing we can do for, for the little birds is they actually make padded platforms. So for birds that have osteoarthritis in their feet and maybe can't grasp very well, they do make padded platforms for these birds. And for the bigger birds, you can actually use moleskin on their perches to make the perches a little bit softer for their feet. We never want to use those perches that are, that are, or that have sandpaper on them. Those just lead to, to sore feet. Can you imagine standing on sandpaper all day? It really doesn't do anything to keep their nails trim or anything. It's actually quite uncomfortable. And uh, and when it regards to perches, you know, we can get square size perches. So if your bird is having trouble grasping the round dowel, you can actually get these, uh, actually they're rectangular shaped perches. We can also get those. They may be easier for that bird to hold on to. And as far as the bird goes, I would make sure that the bird toenails are also trim. And I know we talk about this all the time about dogs and their toenails, but birds need to have their toenails trimmed too. And there, there's there's reasons for that. One, if their toenails are too long, it gets, they get caught in things. They can toys, they can get caught on rope toys. They can, they can get caught on, they can get caught. And, but uh, conversely, we don't want them to be too short either because it's part of their grasping mechanism. So we want, there's a little bit of a sweet spot and, and that's where your avian veterinarian is going to come in. We want to make sure that toenails are not too long, uh, but also not too short. Right. That again, didn't even think about that. So whether they're, you know, out and about or, but particularly in their cage where they, they go because they need restful sleep, just mm-hmm. like other animals, right? And that's typically where they go for the night to sleep. So you can make changes to their environment to make their lives more comfortable. Exactly. Exactly. So do you also do stretching with birds? Because mm-hmm. I know, again, in our mammal friends, we do massage, range of motion, and then the next thing to follow is typically stretching. Right. And it's, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because one of the ways I think that is, is a tell for owners about whether their animal or whether their bird has uh, some type of osteoarthritic process or pain is the stretching because birds will typically stretch periodically all throughout the day. And they what's that look like? Well, it's the cutest thing. Uh, typically they'll do, uh, they'll do one wing and one foot on the same side. They'll stretch the leg and they'll stretch the wing on the same side. So just extending them kind of out? Usually and down. Down. Okay. Yeah, usually down and they'll stretch their leg and then they'll bring it back and they'll bring their wing in and then they go to the other side and stretch that as well. Okay. Um, and if you start to notice that your birds, because it's a very natural thing for birds to do is to stretch. And if they're not stretching, then that's something we should talk to the veterinarian about, especially if maybe they're only stretching on one side or they're not mm. stretching the leg on the other side. 
then you're like, hmm, that's weird. And if they're not stretching, then then that's that could be an indication that they're having some type of problem. Now, so stretching then- in birds, you have to be very careful, of course. You do not want to overstretch. You have to be very careful. Little birds like canaries, parakeets, finches, their legs can break very easily. You don't oh want a lot of you don't want to put a lot of force on that. It's a very gentle stretch at the end of your passive range of motion. And you really have to listen. This is a this is definitely a listening thing. If that bird is, I can't pull this leg out, you're not going to force it to come out because you could injure that bird. Be very careful. In your efforts to act as a surrogate stretcher and help them along, Mm -hmm. it seems like that would be highly terrifying and anxiety producing. I mean, again, Kathy, this is just speaking to your experience and, you know, level of expertise. I think you're shedding light on so many things that most of us have never thought about, you know, unless you are a bird owner, then you get it. But Uh, yeah, you're right. It it can be anxiety producing, but certainly once you sort of understand the language of birds and how to handle them, how to handle them properly and make sure that, you know, you don't injure them, it becomes sort of second nature. You know, we, I, I draw blood from birds. I put catheters in birds. I do rehab on birds. Um, and it's all very, for me, something I've done many, many times, but for somebody who's just starting, you got to remember that you really need to learn how to handle birds appropriately because that's the first thing. If you squeeze them, you could you could kill them by wrapping them too tightly or grabbing them tightly with gloved hands. You know, I don't usually use gloves. I usually use a towel because I like to have that tactile f- sensation rather versus the gloves. I feel like it's a little bulky and I can't quite feel, you know, how tight I'm, how tight I'm yeah. grabbing um, those birds and, and listen. And actually, I think this is a good time to plug. I'm now just taking the uh, certified fear-free course in avian. They have an avian class now, and I just started that one. So if, if people have birds or you're working with birds, I was, you know, I would get on that that certified fear-free class. Cool. Yeah. And we interviewed uh, the education person yeah. for Fear Free Lori. as well. Lori, yeah, yeah and we learned so yeah. much. So check out that podcast as well. Everything mm-hmm. comes full circle. It all makes yeah. Yeah. great sense. So, you know, here I'm imagining like a bird that's in pain and may not want to be approached by a stranger. And, you know, like, you know, you come for the first visit mm-hmm. or what have you. And I would think that you know, maybe they, they start flapping and, you know, cause they're scared and whatever. So I would think that that, that handling piece would be really challenging. And then how do you go from that initial meeting, you know, when they don't, you talk about how smart they are and when yeah. they're smart, I think anything that's smart is harder to work with. Right. <laughs> and, you know, so then how do you gain their trust such that you can impart these therapies that you've mentioned? Because it, it you know, it, it you have to go slow. You have to be right. careful. They have to be relaxed. You know, that just seems almost impossible. It, it, and it kind of, it, it, you're right. And, and if we think about birds in, if these birds were in the wild, they're prey animals. And so I approach them like I do with any other prey animal, like guinea pigs or rabbits or birds. I, I move very slowly. A lot of these birds who have come to the clinic are used to being toweled. So they're anticipating being picked up with the towel. So I give them, I give them their space. And um, if the bird will step up on my hand, I'll do that first. So again, talking about fear-free, that's kind of asking right. their consent. If they're willing to get up on onto your hand as a perch or what have you, right. and then you can extract them from their cage, then they're like, okay, yeah, yes. I'm ready. Some birds will step up. They've been taught to step up. 
If they don't want to step up on my hand, I'll offer them a perch and see if they want to step up on the perch. And then I can get them from there to the scale, weigh them. And then oftentimes what I'll do is I'll dim the light a little bit so that I have a little bit of an advantage into getting them. And I'll kind of get myself maybe a little bit closer to the wall a little bit. And then I'll just towel them very gently. But with small birds like parakeets, or it's very difficult because they're so tiny. And so oftentimes with the little birds, I'll just go right in and sort of try to grab them with the towel from inside their cage. But again, I sort of dim the light a little bit just to give myself a little bit of an advantage. Now, a lot of birds have been toweled many, many times because they go to the vet. Um, and once they're in the towel, they they do okay. They don't like it. Um, and so I try to do whatever I'm doing to the best of my ability to make it not so scary, maybe, yeah, or, less anxiety or, done, or done as quickly as I can to get it, get it over with. I I've actually taught many classes on basic avian radiology techniques on how to x-ray birds without hurting them, or if you have to, or putting them under anesthesia or x-raying them without, and making sure that you don't hurt them. So if I teach, I've taught veterinarians how to take x-rays on birds and handle them appropriately because they can be delicate and you can hurt them and you can break them. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the positioning, you know, for an x-ray. Right. Right. So, so, you know, you're talking about the little birds. So what... Like how often has a bird escaped its cage and you can't catch it? Like, does that happen? Well, like, I've, always, I've always caught it. <laughs> because like you're in a treatment room or whatever right, at the clinic right, or, right. you know, but I know you go to birds homes as well. And yeah. I would think they would be able to fly wherever. And yeah, um, I usually have a, a system with the owners where I ask them to either keep their bird in a place where I can get them or take them out of their cages so I don't have to grab in, go in and take them out from that. Um, and so usually when I get to their house, they're already out on either their bird perch or they're somewhere where I can access them without scaring them, frightening them, having them fly off. And they know who I am and they know what I'm going to do. Some of them take the offensive, some of them take the defense, some of them take offense, but it, it can be done, you know? And again, I, I was at my friend Ozzy's house today and, you know, he, he heard me coming because I was rolling my laser down the road, which is my fault because he, and his dad said, he heard you coming. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it, was, it was a rookie move. Um, and he was, you know, he was having a good day. So he was being extra spicy, you know? And so I just have to take all those things into consideration about his emotions and what his life looks like. And that how scary it might be that somebody just came into your house and picked you up with a towel. And so I try to minimize my time that I hold him. And then I move into some exercises that will be maybe entertaining for him versus me holding him because I'll do my laser treatment, my massage, my stretching. And then we'll, we'll actually move into some active exercises and then food is involved. And when food is involved, that can be a lot more fun. For him. So what does that look like? And I can imagine, I mean, you say food is involved, but don't, don't birds like Ozzy have like an enormous amount of beak strength, like hundreds of pounds yes. per square inch. So yes, yes. how do you give him a piece of food without getting really your fingers? You have to be careful. Oh, there's all kinds of things you can do. I mean, I can hand them, I can hand birds, uh, string beans, a strawberry, a blueberry. Um, but if it's something of, if something of interest to them, then often typically take it or they'll take it from the owner. If they won't take it from me, they'll typically take it from their owner. It's a very trusting relationship between owners and their birds. I want to get back to that for a second, but like if you're holding a blueberry, you know, blueberry isn't very big, but are you telling me then that the, the bird is, is careful, like they're dexterous with their beak and they will just be able to get that blueberry and right. not touch your finger? Right. Oh, yeah. Unless they want to bite me, then I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. But yes, they can. They're very dexterous with that beak. They can grab 
whatever they want out of their food dish too. They can grab that one blueberry at the bottom of the dish with their with their beaks. They can they can grab whatever they want. They know what they want and they know how to get it. And it is it's I mean the beak is hard, but it's it's dexterous and their tongue is also like an appendage. It's very smooth. It doesn't have a, like a saliva like a dog or cat would have. It's a very smooth, almost leathery surface. It's almost like using a finger. And so they're they're very dexterous with that. Interesting. And yeah, and sometimes they want to trick you. They're like, I'll take the blueberry, but I'm going to try and bite your finger. <laughs> so, no. Your finger also, but string beans. You can hand them string beans. Sure. Um, one of the most popular, I think, treats out there is the Lefebvre's um, Nutriberries. Birds love Nutriberries. They love them. Um, and sometimes I can get compliance with using something like that. You can't always, it's not like a dog. You can't always bribe the bird. The bird I think that it's very difficult for the bird to 100% trust me in any case at all. Well, They're very trusting of their owner, but I don't think I can ever gain full trust like I do with some of my dog patients. They'll yeah. take it and drop it. They won't. Yeah. They won't They're it. a little bit more discerning. Right. You've mentioned now several times about like they trust their owner and how you engage their owner and you partner with the owner. Yep. So do do most birds bond with one person in their household. And, you know, I know that we try to do that with, with our mammal friends too, you know, to enlist their help, but it sounds like it's more imperative with the birds than it may be for a dog or a cat to have the owner's assistance. Yeah. And with some of the smaller birds, I'll, I'll go to people's homes and they'll have little aviaries or they'll have, and these budgies will have like, like a clutch. They're like a little group of budgies and they, and they, that's how they live in colonies and that's how they breed they're colony breeders and so to get the parakeets of course i'm not going to have much trouble at all i'm just going to reach my hand in with a little washcloth probably and pick the parakeet out that i want some parakeets are very bonded to their their owners but oftentimes you'll see them living with multiple parakeets when you get into the larger birds unless you have an aviary you don't really see people having you know 10 african grays <laughs> it's like one or two maybe right um and those relationships become very intense between the owners and their parrots. And I think that before they reach the age of sexual maturity, you might have a baby bird come in to your home who's bonded and plays with everybody and is happy and joyful and, you know, will submit to all kinds of, you know, uh, things, play and so forth. But once they hit sexual maturity, sometimes that, that changes. And then they often pick one person in the house that is their person. And then you might see that bird now who liked, you know, the husband um, now only likes the wife and is trying to, to bite the husband. So you might get some changes in behavior as the bird gets older. And those relationships, like I said, the relationship between people and their bird. I mean, if you think about having, we talked about this with the rabbit, to be able to have a relationship with an animal that is a prey animal whose whole instinct is to run, flee, get away, um, fly away, fly away. Right. And to gain the trust of an animal like that is that's a really special bond. That's a very special relationship. And then so oftentimes that bird then only likes that one person in the house. And so sometimes as these birds age, it can become problematic because they get aggressive with other people in the house because Mm. they they've chosen this one person as their mate person you know you know this makes perfect sense because um we have some friends that i met through their dog and they have a uh i don't know it's a littleish bird Mm -hmm. named tupper and tupper will only respond and be friendly with debbie Mm -hmm. the other person in the household i mean 
cannot be left in the room with Tucker or she will get attacked. (laughs) And I was like, what? And uh, so, yeah, now now this is all making sense. But it's also kind of sad for them because Jackie is now deprived of this relationship and they have to make, you know, concessions and plan things around when Tupper's going to be out of the cage and all of that. But so I guess that's something else that people need to be aware of when they're thinking about getting a bird. Yeah. And I think that with these larger birds, I think it becomes increasingly difficult for us to recreate their environment. You know, I think with some of the smaller birds we're doing, we're doing okay with the parakeets and the finches and the canaries, I think, because they can live in colonies. And, uh, but when they get when you get to a big bird like that, I think that, yeah, I think that it's difficult to recreate their environment that makes them be birds, right? It's hard. And we do have, we have fantastic bird owners as clients. They're fantastic, like hardcore bird people. Mm-hmm. Um, and still, even then it's hard to give that bird a, a, a emotionally everything that it needs. Yeah. All the enrichment right. and stimulation yeah. and so forth. Yeah. I do want to talk about that, but before we move on, can you describe some specific exercises that you might do with a bird? Again, therapy exercises are really going to depend on the bird's diagnosis, but I'm also going to take into consideration the bird's size and whether or not the bird is flighted. I don't want them to fly off, but let me give you a few examples of some exercises I might incorporate into a bird's therapy plan. Uh, So for example, for large birds, I will often use an exercise that I call step up, the step up exercise. Birds, large birds are often taught to or trained to step up on their owner's hand or perch with the command step up. I'll use that to my advantage if that's the case. Um, And I'll have the birds step up on a perch and then I'll present them with another perch just a little bit higher than that one and ask them to step up again. So then I'll, and I'll repeat that almost like they're climbing a ladder. And if the bird is comfortable and they've mastered this exercise, I'll often take the, you know, have them sit on the perch and maybe tip the perch up a little bit or tip the perch down a little bit, almost like a balance board that you would use, you know, with your dog patients. And these exercises are good for uh, strengthening of the legs, uh, grasping with the feet and, and balance. And for smaller birds, I'll incorporate a ladder into their cage and into their environment and encourage them to to climb by maybe enticing them with a little bit of millet spray, you know, hanging somewhere that will entice them to climb up that ladder to get it. I would stay away from uh, rope ladders because the birds like to pick at that rope um, and that leaves little threads on the, on the rope and those threads can actually get wrapped around their toes, their feet, or possibly even their tongue. And then the other thing I'll do is um, sometimes I'll try different size perches too, to see, to get so smaller perches to get a, a tighter grasp, or maybe a square perch to get a different type of grasp from the toes. Um, and birds usually respond if they know how to step up, they usually do very well with that exercise. So I have a question because mm-hmm. when I was having some issues with arthritis in my hands, mm-hmm. And I went to an occupational therapist and they recommended using a bigger pen, you know, that has like a larger diameter, larger circumference so that I didn't have to bend and squeeze so Mm -hmm. tightly. Does that work with the birds or can it be, it could be smaller or bigger. You have to just analyze that specifically with each bird. Exactly. I need to know what am I, am I rehabbing an injury to your foot or am I, or am I doing something to your foot or your ankle or your knee because you have arthritis. The other thing that I'll do if, you know, if this bird has an injury and it's not a bird that will, that can step up, but it, it needs to grasp or there, I want to get strength in the feet. Sometimes I'll give them differently shaped objects to hold in their feet. 
they like to shred things. So like a tongue depressor is fun for them to hold, you know, cause they can hold it real tight with their grasp and then they can also shred it, which is really fun for them. And then I'll also, you know, you can get these, these unfinished round wooden balls at the craft store. And so sometimes I'll have them hold that with their foot, usually they'll end up throwing it or dropping, <laughs> but, but if I can get them to grasp that at different sizes, um, I just make sure that I don't get one that's so small that they can get it, you know, in their mouth, mm -hmm. um, but you can get the unfinished wood one in different sizes. So I can have them hold those. You can also have them hold different sizes of things for food because birds can have a variety of diet in their food. So different size pastas and can hold that. I mean, their foot is so dexterous. They could hold a, a uncooked piece of spaghetti if they wanted wow. to. Yeah. Uh, but also you could have them hold a string bean or a, or a, you know, a strawberry, a, a carrot. Exactly. Okay. And that's fun for shredding. But again, that it requires them to grip and hold and use their feet in a various, various ways of holding. Uh, I want to say more complicated uh, mm. movement to hold smaller things and then having to spread your feet out to grab the bigger things. Right. Uh, so the, the larger the object, you get some stretching you get a little bit and, of, yeah. and different muscles engaged. And then exactly. as you work your way down, then you have to be more like we were talking about previously, like dexterous and, you know, it's like fine motor versus gross motor. Exactly. That's what I've been trying to think of like that fine motor skill for them. Um, the other thing I can do, I, I do, I tell the clients, if your bird, birds like to shower um, and it depends on what your bird, what kind of bird you have. They don't shower every day, like people, but, but probably once a week, at least they like to shower or be sprayed or missed. Um, and when they do that, they make all kinds of dynamic movements. Their wings come out and they flap and they splash water. And it's just a really joyous thing for them. But again, you're using all these fine motor skills. You're flapping your wings, you're bringing them out like this, um, and then you're tossing water with your head. I um, mean, it's something that most birds enjoy. And some birds will even get into their like water dish and just like really get into it. Like a bird um, bath. And that's exactly. And that's a lot of. That's a lot of dynamic movement, wings, feet, head, shoulders, and they enjoy it. And I'm thinking too, uh, balance. Right. Exactly. And balance. Yeah. Um, and, and, Weight and shifting. Exactly. And it's something in their environment that we can add that they enjoy mm -hmm. a shower or misting. As we always try to do like with their therapeutic exercises, not making it tedious mm -hmm. or uncomfortable, but making it fun, engaging, right. joyous, right. as you say. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's usually something an owner and the bird can do to, and that, and it's very bonding as well. It's an engaging with each other and a bonding and birds love to have that mist or the shower or the bird bath. So that incorporates a lot of dynamic movement. Dancing is wonderful. If you birds love music, they're very rhythmic. They love to move to music, particularly cockatoos. You can dance with your bird. If your bird steps up on your hand, I wouldn't start with these really crazy movements, but just start moving your hand almost like a balance, like balancing board, you know, side to side, moving, turning. The bird needs to balance and the bird needs to grasp, but also they're enjoying this whole environmental enrichment piece where they're getting time with you, enjoying music. But again, you have to have a lot of balance and coordination and grasping and dancing is a little bit unpredictable. Maybe you don't know which way right. it's going to go, right? So the cha-cha-cha is very different than the waltz. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so I think that's a fun exercise for clients to do with their birds because the birds enjoy that as well. 
And the other thing I do with, with one of my birds, well, actually with most of my birds, I'll do a little bit of a reaching exercise. So again, if they'll step up on a perch or step up on your hand and I hold something that they want, usually a peanut or pistachio or something, they'll lean forward and they'll tighten up that grasp as they're leaning forward to, to get that. So again, more grasping, more strengthening exercises. So they're reaching with their beak, not their foot. They're reaching with their body. Usually they'll usually lean their body into that. Right. And then trying to get it with their beak, whatever you're having to reach for. Okay. And then they have to tighten up that grasp and lean their body Mm -hmm. forward. Mm -hmm. And then sidestepping. I'll actually do some sidestepping with birds. You know, I'll get them on a cushion, usually like a sofa cushion. And then if I sit down next to them, they'll usually sidestep away from me. And then I'll get on the other side of the cushion. (laughs) Sounds like aversion therapy, Kathy. (laughs) Because of their their aversion and hatred for me, they move to the side. Sidestepping again is another type of dynamic movement for them. Love it. Yeah. Of course, all the environmental enrichment stuff they could put in their cage, different size perches and toys and things like that, that they can climb on. I know I've said fairly recently on an episode that, you know, that uh, sidestepping isn't something that is common for, for like our dogs, right? They tend to move forward in direction, but, you know, as I'm picturing a bird in a cage on their perch, they're constantly sidestepping. So, you know, they need to be able to, to do that equally right and left. We're always talking about symmetry and wow, Kathy, I am just amazed at the amount of creativity that is required to rehab a, a yeah. bird. Again, the smarter they are, the more creative you the need more to creative. be. Yeah, exactly. And I, I did a, uh, had a bird many, many years ago and uh, submitted this case for, uh, for, for people to look at um, with other rehabbers, right? Where a bird had fractured his uh, shoulder and his wings were off. So one wing was tight to the body and one was drooping. And then what happened constantly with that bird is she was off balance all the time and she would fall, Hmm. she'd falling off of things. And I actually came up with a little system to make uh, these little weights for her and to be very careful. I wouldn't recommend this. I did it under veterinary supervision. Yes. Um, Yes. Don't try this at home people. Yeah. Don't try this at home. We made little weights for her and then we did some shoulder lifts, you know, and I would hold her in my hand and I would sort of drop my hand a little bit. And in response, she would bring her Lift wings her out wings. like this to balance. Yeah. And she got better. She got significantly better. You a lot of creativity, but then uh, with gentleness. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. I, I remember Kathy, when you were preparing for that talk and, and uh, again, the ingenuity and finding a weight that was actually light enough, yeah, you know, that, that you could, yeah, they were washers and, you know, from the hardware store, but, you know, think of all the different sizes that those come in and, and, you know, you can add one, two, three, you know, up to the desired effect. And I thought that was very genius at the time. And then you, you know, you have your, some of your, your waterfowl and your ducks, your chickens and roosters. I've had some of those, I've built mobility carts for them um, so that we can get them up and moving, you know, while they're recovering from injury. So some of those, even some of those bigger birds can, yeah. Didn't you just, uh, you've also posted about, is it Kate Middleton? No, it's Janet Quaxon. Oh, <laughs> Janet Quaxon. She's part of the Quaxon. Kate Middleton is married to Will, the Prince of Wales or whatever. Yeah, we built well, her a mobility cart and because she had a problem with her foot and she needed to get up. And what happens with these ducks, you know, then they have problems with their legs or their feet and they can only maybe even be mobile with one foot or maybe not so great with both feet. But um, when they get wet like that and they can't get out of their pond, um, they actually become waterlogged. They can get they can actually drown from not being able to get themselves out of the pond and upright. 
and dry and preen. So if you have a bad foot and you're down on your chest, you can't quite get those spots and you you can really get waterlogged. It becomes very dangerous for those birds. So, you know, getting them up on their feet and getting them to start walking again is really important. Kathy, it's almost like we plan to to mention our sponsor at this time. Heads Up Water Collars needs to invent something for waterlogged birds. You would be surprised that it happens. Uh, it happens periodically in ducks where they have injuries that don't allow them to stand up, get dry and preen and dry themselves appropriately. And then never knew that get, was a thing. They can get waterlogged and, um, and drown. They can drown. Yeah. 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 So our friends at Heads Up Pets Water Collars, they're their uh, tagline is save dogs from drowning because of their unique foam collar that's super lightweight and keeps the dog's nose and, and mouth out of the water, even when they're unconscious. So it's a genius product. Um, and then that's always in our show notes that they can, if people want to check out the Heads Up Pets Water Collar, go to any one of our shows, click right on that link. It'll take you right to Heads Up Pets Water Collar. Right. And use the promo code PETPOD22, P-E-T-P-O-D-2-2, all capital letters, and get your 10% discount. Sounds that's like right. we've said this a few times before. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome, though. Not awesome that uh, birds need uh, something yeah. to the system with their flotation. Awesome that but there's a product for these dogs, right? Well, it is. And, and again, I, you know, I guess you just think of like these waterfowl. I absolutely, cause I think that they're made to be in water mm-hmm. that I, it wouldn't even cross my mind that they could possibly drown due right. to being waterlogged. So that was very, very enlightening. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Kathy, do you want to, uh, talk any more about um, things that owners m- might notice in their birds um, that, you know, how, how do they know when their, their pet is suffering from something physical that is musculoskeletal or neurologic? We haven't really talked yeah. about anything neurologic. Yeah, there are some, yeah, they can, birds can get neurologic diseases as well. Um, I think that, you know, we, we often call this in, in avian medicine, um, sick bird syndrome what does sick bird syndrome look like? And that's, it's still just sort of just like this coverall for like, what is a bird who is in pain or what does a bird who is sick look like? And those birds are often um, inactive. They're often fluffed up. They're puffed up. Their eyes can be sort of closed. Like you would see maybe if they were sleepy, sometimes they'll stand, they'll pull one leg up and they're standing on one leg and they're trying to get warm, you know, they're trying to, mm. they're, or they're seeking warmth. Those are all signs that something is wrong with the bird. Usually birds are pretty active. They're pretty vocal. They're up a large portion of the day, sort of eating and preening and bathing. And if there's other birds, then they're interacting with the other birds. And then they all take a nap around the same time. And then they start their little forage again before they go to bed. So if those, if your bird isn't doing those normal bird behaviors, then that's definitely an indication that we should contact our, their veterinarian and let them know. Also droppings. Droppings are a huge indication as to how birds are feeling. You know, you should get familiar with what your bird's droppings look like, maybe how many droppings they have during the course of the day. I, you know, when birds are in the hospital, I count them. I'll count how many droppings they have. If they're watery droppings, that's a problem. If they have a lime green color to them, that's a problem. There's, so there's a lot of knowledge to be gained from what their droppings look like. But also keep in mind that sometimes you can give a bird a raspberry and then later they'll have a red poop. And then you're like, oh my oh. God. <laughs> They're bleeding. Keep that in mind too. But again, it all falls into that sort of under that umbrella of sick bird syndrome. Like the droppings aren't right. They aren't having enough or they're too watery. Yeah. So it's all in context kind of, right? Like you you put a few clinical signs together maybe. Mm -hmm. And and it's, and it's, you know, it's the, it's largely based honestly on the relationship between the owner and the bird. The owner knows 
knows what that bird does, knows what it looks like, knows what its facial expressions are, knows what it does during the day, knows what it doesn't want, doesn't like, or what it does like. Um, and as soon as they're not doing those things, those are those are indications that something is not right. Right. And that sounds similar to to other types of right. pets. Um, right. You know, when people say, oh, my gosh, you know, they wouldn't take their treat today and they love their treat normally. You know, I'm like, mm, red flag. <laughs> What's and going I, on? You know, right. and it may just be that they have a little upset stomach, but it could be something much more serious. Right, right. And we shouldn't dismiss the we shouldn't dismiss the fact that these birds that birds experience pain just like any other pet. They can absolutely experience pain, and that needs to be addressed with your veterinarian. And there are pain medications for birds, but it needs to be prescribed by your doctor. But we should keep that in mind, just like any other animal birds can experience pain. So you're talking about going to the veterinarian. Uh, do Are most veterinarians equipped to work with birds? And part B, if people don't have a Kathy near them, you know, what do they do when right. it comes to, you know, if they need bird rehabilitation? Right. There are, if you, you definitely should have an avian vet if, you, if you're going to go to the veterinarian um, with your bird. And you can find them on the, um, if you go, you can look it up on the Association of Avian Veterinarians, and it will tell you who in your area is, specializes in birds. Um, and they have gone through a process. They are, you know, they have to sit for boards to be able to um, call themselves a specialist. Um, and they, you can find them, those veterinarians on the Association of, of Avian Veterinarians. That's where I would, that's where I would go. Yeah. You've said this several times that they're prey animals. And yeah. I know that you're, you're doing pet birds. Yes. So that is true 100%, no matter the size or type of bird that you're rehabbing as a pet, they're all prey animals. Unlike... Well, they're not wildlife they're not. <laughs> rehabilitators that are working with hawks and eagles and right. so forth that those are definitely are predators. Prey. Yeah, those are real birds of prey. Um, when I'm talking about parakeets and finches and even parrots, they're preyed upon by other things. And so they are responding. That's their whole genetic makeup. They're responding in that I got to get away. I got to fight for my life or I've got to get away in order to sort of have this joyful experience of their life with, with people. They, Oh, here it comes the emotional lives of birds, the emotional lives of birds, which I think it's hard to, it's hard to do. Sometimes it's hard to match. I didn't mean to mock. No, but it's true. They are, they have an emotional life. You know, I like the emotional life of everybody. I know that I, I was kind of teasing you because I'm like, I, we talk about it every show and certainly we're going to talk about it here. With, uh, so I'm always worried about their emotional lives. But, um, but seriously, this is where environmental enrichment piece really comes in for these birds. And one of the things that birds do that's a very natural behavior for them is foraging. A good portion of their day, if they were out in the wild, would be spent foraging. So there are things that we can do, like we can hang pieces of fruit from the top of the cage or between the cage bars, have the birds move to try and find them. You could take um, a nut and put it in a small paper bag and twist the ends up so the bird has to search for that and then shred the bag. That's really fun to get the to get the nut out of that. Paper towel roll, you could put some nuts or some nutriberries in a paper towel roll and then stuff the ends with with paper towels and the bird has to pull the paper towels out of the roll or shred the the roll to get the the treat out. So there are lots of things that we could do that way to have them sort of encourage them to to forage 
and to move around and explore and look for food because that's what they would they would do normally. There are lots of other things that we can do for environmental enrichment. There are a lot of great bird appropriate toys on the market. We want to stay away from toys that actually have chain link on them because birds can get their feet stuck in them. Um, stay away from bells because birds can get that little clasp in the middle of the bell uh, in their mouth. But there are lots of other really great bird appropriate toys on the market, food dispensing toys that are on the market for birds as well. So you can see there's lots of things for these birds to do. They love to shred anything that they can shred, a uh, paper towel roll, a paper bag, a tongue depressor, a popsicle stick. They love to do stuff like that. So that's all part of, of their natural behaviors and it's enjoyable for them. So the other thing I would you know recommend is you know provide some outside time in the cage for these birds in a safe environment, of course, someplace safe for them, but they, they don't want to be in the cage all day long. They want to have a little bit of out time. And all of this is in an effort to really uh, support the bird's mental, physical, and emotional health. This so, sounds very much like when we interviewed Doreen with the rabbits, you know. Foraging, the, foraging, yeah. foraging. Yeah. Yeah. Let and them then, rip up stuff. So Kathy, uh, I, it seems like we've covered a lot today. So <laughs> I guess one final question that I wanted to ask you um, is, you know, if people are interested in getting a bird, are there bird rescues? Is it okay to get a bird from a pet store? You know, I, again, knowing yeah. the tremendous responsibility right. and commitment that it takes, but you know, wh- wh- where do people go? There are so many birds that are in need of adoption for so many reasons. They've outlived their owners. Maybe they've taken a liking to one owner, but they're trying to kill the husband of the other owner. They've become hormonal or they're screaming and they need to be rehomed. So one of my most favorite places in the world is a place in Virginia called Project Perry. Um, their, Their website is full of information. They can lead you to all kinds of information about birds, their care, uh, adoption, um, you can even sponsor some of the birds that are there uh, at their their sanctuary. And they are, they're the real deal. You know, I volunteer for them whenever I can. They know every bird's name. They know every bird's need. They know every bird. <laughs> they know every single one of them by name. Uh, That's cool. And their, their likes and their wants and their dislikes and so forth. So that, and then the other place I would go just for information, not necessarily for adoption, but Lefebvre has an excellent website and they make a, um, they make bird food and they make the NutriBerries and an excellently laid out, easy to follow website on every type of bird. And they've been around for a long time, but they have an excellent website uh, with all kinds of information about birds and care and their videos on environmental enrichment um, are fantastic. So if you want to learn more about birds, I would encourage you to go to Lefebvre's website and we'll put that in our show notes. Yeah, definitely be in our show notes. And, and, you know, as with anything, you know, I'm constantly learning, right? Everybody has different ideas. So even for you, you know, pro bird owners out there, you know, that have been doing this for decades, you know, I think sometimes when, when you, you know, just listen to somebody else, meet someone else, you know, look online, you always get a little snippet of information that might, you know, help you to, again, provide a little bit more enrichment for your, your bird that you hadn't uh, necessarily thought of. And, you know, when I was hearing you talk about some of these things, it seems like, movement, as we always say, you know, movement is really important for your bird, just like any other animal and, you know, keeping them strong, keeping them flexible, keeping their joints moving, um, working on their balance, all pointing to function. But while you're working on these things, make it 
fun, make it exciting. So. And, and that bonding time, you know, right. with, with their owner while you're, you know, doing this stuff is just fantastic. So, All right. So where can people find you, Kathy? Well, if people are, if people would like to find me, I'm right here on Petability Podcast. We have a YouTube channel, same thing, Petability Podcast or on TikTok at Petability Podcast as well. Um, so they can find us all there. and Instagram and Facebook. Instagram and Facebook as well. And my final, I guess my final thought about birds and owning birds is if you're thinking about getting a bird, do your homework. Mm. Do your homework. Do your di- due diligence. Do your homework. That, that is an excellent final thought. Thank you very much to my Thank esteemed you, guest and partner in crime, Kathy Simon, CBT, CCRP, <laughs> and local bird expert. Aficionado. <laughs> yes. Yes. So fun. Thank you for your time, Thanks, Kathy. Chris. Bye. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Petability Podcast. For more information about Kathy's books and living with blind dogs, please visit EnableYourPet.com. Thank you, and please tune in next time.